0: Amen. Amen. Well, guys, grab hold of a Bible. Hope you brought one. And if you did, would you make your way to Ephesians chapter 6? Sunday mornings, we're working through Ephesians 6, or very specifically the section that deals with spiritual warfare. Once more, hope when you have a Bible. If you didn't bring one here in the sanctuary, there are Bibles around you, chairs in front of you. You can even find the page number on the screen to get there right away. Or you can use an electronic device. I mean, we just invite you to do that, not to like surf the internet or anything like that. But hey, to read the Bible, that would be great uh, to do that. And we invite you to engage with us in that. Now, you guys in our overflow and online, hey, we just want to speak to you the same invitation. Join us. I mean, have a Bible, follow along. Just lo- just longing that God would take His Word and communicate to you the things that he's wanting to say to you this morning, and to do so by the power of his word. And we just believe that both following along and seeing that would be very helpful. So with that in mind, let's ask him. I want to lead you in prayer, invite you to pray as well, that God would just take this moment and speak to us the things that he has for us in this space, time, and through his word. Would you join me? Father, right here, we just want to ask for help to depend upon you and recognize that as we get a chance to study your word together, for starters, it's your word that you've given us, that you tell us doesn't return to you void without accomplishing the purposes for which you sent it. Therefore, Lord, work that in us today. Give us the ability to hear what you're saying, open up our understanding, and in the midst of it, Lord, you know us. You know each one of us. You know right where we are. God, help. Would you help us to hear you? Would you help us to hear what you're saying? Would your spirit work in such a way that that's effectively heard and at work in our lives? We ask for that right now as we thank you for who you are and thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Helmets save lives. Hey, that's simply an axiom that is true. It's true in sports. I mean, you can think about it and through all the different things. And you kind of like imagine a football helmet, if you will. It's true in construction. That's my little picture on the screen. Hey, it's true in warfare. I mean it just simply is true and I found myself thinking you know, in one sense I don't think that's really something that we doubt. I mean I probably could show you more pictures and videos, but for some of you that would be the end of it. You know, you'd be like done the right day and I want to go there. Instead I just want to just say that and step into this moment that we want to think about the helmet that God is providing, the helmet of salvation hey, you got your Bibles open there. Notice with me, we're going to be in the first part of verse 17 this morning, and he simply says it this way, and take the helmet of salvation. Pause there. That's again our thought, only covering that that one piece, is this morning we want to think about what this is, this part of what God has for us, this helmet of salvation. Well, before we dive into that, we need to quickly Back up, set the context, set where we've been, remind you of things that we've talked about before this this week, and if you've missed any of these studies, we just invite you to go back and get them. I wanna remind you that this finds itself in the context of God speaking to us about the whole armor of God, about everything that he would give us in this, in this life, this very specific place that's being described here. In the midst of this, he's calling us to be strong in him. To be strong in the Lord. Go back to the beginning of their section, begin there in verse 10, where that's exactly what he says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. God is inviting you not to your strength, but his. He's inviting you to find him to be the strength in your life. Now, there are so many spaces where that's needed but this very specifically is not just talking about his strength generally, but his strength that would help you and I in the midst of a very real spiritual war. Notice that's what he talks about next. Pick it up in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a very real spiritual war. Our real adversary is not flesh and blood. It's not politicians. It's not any of those things. The real adversary is the devil and his forces. They're arrayed behind him that as we think about our world, the Bible tells us that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That the real battle today is a spiritual battle behind the scenes. But it's not just generic, it's not just out there, it's personal. For he's telling us that you wrestle, that's personal that's hand-to-hand combat, if you will, that there's a battle that you have against the adversary. There's a battle that we have in the midst of this, and he's telling us about that, letting us know that reality, but he's doing so with incredible hope. Go back and pick it up where we left off. He says in verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, you would be able, you would be enabled by God to stand against everything that that is, against everything that Satan would throw into this. There is incredible hope here, a place where I'm longing for you to hear it today and through this whole place that we would recognize a very real battle, a war that's taking place. But it wouldn't cause us to feel threatened or like that's never something we could handle, but he would invite you and I into a space that we would be enabled by him to stand against anything and everything Satan would throw. That is so hopeful. May God meet us through that today. Well, for that, he offers to us this picture of the whole armor of God. And we're gonna look at one piece of that this morning, but just to remind you, there are seven. In this section, he lists seven things that he has provided, that would be his supply in your life and in my life, that would be strength to us, that would be the enablement for us to stand. Now, one of the things we've talked about over the last few weeks is that it's important to notice these seven things and to understand what these seven things are, but it's also important to notice the action word. Yeah, in the first three pieces, he invites us to have something. To, to have something that's there. And the second th- set of three, he invites us to take those up, that these would be things that we'd, we'd take up. And so I've reminded you and let you know that as we think about what that looks like, there is a sense that when we think about this idea of having, that would be a place that these are realities that you can have and you should have all the time in God, that these are things that should form almost a worldview when you think about spiritual warfare. Then the next three become things that you should take up. That in that very specific day of spiritual warfare, in what he calls in that verse there, the evil day, that these would be things that you would grab hold of firmly and take hold of as you step into those places. Yeah, that's exactly what he's laying out for us. And he's calling us to see those. In fact, why don't you go back and see it? You got your Bibles there. Let's just pick up where we left off. He says it in verse 14. Stand. Therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Pause there. Those were the first three that we looked at. We talked about these in the last couple weeks, and so if you want to go back and get them, you can. But again, just quick reminders. He's telling us in light of the the spiritual warfare that's going to be there, you should have this. That would be truth, God's truth, the word of God. That would be truth in the midst of a world that is filled with lies. You should be one that believes that God has spoken to us and his word doesn't change. He means what he says. He says what he means. That should be something that should undergird your life. Secondly, you should have the breastplate of righteousness. That's that picture of the righteousness that's ours in Christ. That's the the cross. That's the whole reason. How is anybody made right with God? Only Jesus. (laughs) I mean, Jesus is the only way that we get to be made right, and that should be something that you have as an understanding. Then you should have your your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That is, you should be ready to share the gospel because you recognize, hey, we're in the midst of a world that isn't our world. This isn't home to us. Our home is heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're here as those who represent God into a broken world. And that should be something that girds your life, that we think about those first three things. Those are things that can be and should be a part of your your day every day, but realities of the way that you see the world. But when it happens, when Satan seeks to do a work in your life, when he brings you into those evil days, again, three things that you should take up. We've covered one of them already. Pick it up in Verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Like we should take this shield of faith, if that's going to be the day you're in, that you should trust God intentionally, purposely, believing in who he is. It's incredibly powerful. It blocks all of Satan's arrows. And then today in verse 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation. Okay. So that's where we've been. That's the background of everything we are. Now we get to press into this place where we need to understand what this is in the midst of that. What does he mean, take the helmet of salvation? Well, very clearly, I think it should be understood. It's probably not too hard to get there. But when he talks about the helmet of salvation, he's not talking about get saved. He's talking about the assurance of your salvation. Now, don't misunderstand me. Like if you're here this morning and you don't don't have Jesus, take up salvation. Like, Like we would speak that to you today, like you need Jesus. But in context, he's talking to somebody who's already has the breastplate of righteousness, who already believes in God's truth, is already recognizing this world is not their home and they're seeking to live in the midst of it. And he's telling that person, hey, in that evil day, you should take up this assurance of salvation, this place of, this confidence of salvation. Now, that's what we need to pause and think about for just a few moments, and I want to invite you on a discovery journey that I just want to admit to you is big. Like, we could spend a whole year talking about this and still not have accomplished it. It, It's deep theological waters. It's deep concepts in the midst of it. And we're going to kind of skate through it just a little bit, just highlighting a few things. And it's going to be enough that hopefully will give us some understanding. But I also just want to own the fact it might leave some of you confused. It's not what I'm trying to do. Please understand that. But if it does, I'm sorry. But I do want you to think it through with me. So assurance of salvation, is it possible? to have an assurance of salvation? Is it possible to know eternal security, a place that we would recognize what that is? Well, let me try to answer that clearly. Yes and no. Yes and no? Well, yeah, that's kind of the idea. In fact, that's exactly how the Bible speaks. The Bible speaks both realities into our world, both of them firmly in in, in a very solid way. I think about it. There are places where Jesus firmly seems to, he points out the, the reality of this place of eternal security. One of them is John 10, when Jesus says it this way, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I mean, let's just, uh, that's good news. That's like, that's like, I got them, and nothing, and nothing could take it away. They can't die. They'll never perish. I mean, those are powerful words. But then we read verses like in Hebrews, where it says, for we have become partakers of Christ. That's good, that's good. If if we hold to the, to the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. What do you mean if? Like, what do you mean we're partakers of Christ if? If we stay steadfast until the end? I mean, Jesus would say the same thing, that he who endures to the end will be saved. In fact, there are such strong words given in the scripture, such strong words even in the book of Hebrews that would speak about those who would fall away and the terrible consequences. And we find ourselves just face to face with the reality that he speaks both ways. Now, here's the simple deal. There's a lot of reasons for that. And some of it goes into just the reality of salvation. And this kind of touches on deep realities, things that would deal with like the sovereignty of God, and the responsibility of man, and how the Bible literally actually speaks to both, and and I just want to tell you, for the good Bible students, you find yourself saying, I have to believe both. I have to believe both that God is sovereign and that we're responsible, though they might seem contradictory in heaven, they're not. I mean, and and I I can just embrace both. I can embrace both because they're biblical. So it is here where God offers us this place of eternal security, but at the same moment has very strong and serious words about falling away. Let's come at it a different direction. So not only do we understand that in one sense the Bible speaks both realities, in one way to approach this is to understand in some ways he's speaking to different people, and we almost have to ask the question, like why are you asking? Like why do you want to know? I mean what is it you're seeking in this idea of eternal security? If you're looking for hell insurance, the kind of thing that you could have your salvation kind of paid for, and then you could live any way you want to live, but, you know, once saved, always saved, you're, you're good no matter how you live your life, I just want to tell you that's not the kind of thing that God offers. God would speak to those who would seek to, you know, be followers of him, but still, let's say, embrace sin in their life, and he warns them that that's never gonna work for them. It gives it to us this way in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, like, they're not going to go, don't be deceived, he says. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. He looks at people and says, if this is the way you're going to live, then, then you're not, that's not going to take you into heaven. Now, that's really just relevant in our culture. We know that homosexuality is a big part in our culture, and this really, really clear that that can't be the place of getting into this. Add to that, though, if you only stop there, you miss the whole place because it also includes adultery and fornication. He says, if that's how you're living your life, he says, that's not going to work, nor thieves nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. God doesn't give anybody who's going to try to live in that space where they'll be like, hey, you know, I I prayed a prayer, but you know, yeah, I'm living in disobedience. Yeah, I'm living with my girlfriend and, you know, sleeping with my boyfriend or I'm doing these kinds of things, but I'm going to make it, right? It's like, no, if you're living that lifestyle, he gives incredible and serious warnings. And I just want to tell you, there's never a space that God would give comfort to somebody who's living in disobedience. Over and over, his word would speak to somebody there and urge them to repentance and call them back to him. On the other hand, for the one that is not seeking to walk away from God, and is trying to hold on to him as best they can, has no intention of going anywhere. And you know, in, in the midst of this, he speaks such incredible words of comfort. Places like in Romans 8, where he'll say, well, who could separate us from the love of Christ? Like, what could get between us and our Jesus? Nothing. Nothing could separate us, not height, nor depth, nor any other created things should be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It can't happen. I mean, that's an incredible comfort, but in that, he's speaking to those who, again, are in that space, the space of being his and walking with him. Okay, maybe that gets closer to it, although, again, we're touching so many deep realities. Let's say it a different way. In one sense, we could think about it from an eternal standpoint, that we think about what this looks like, and eternally, we know that faithless followers so often fall away, like those who are faking it and not really saved will often prove that by not staying with Jesus. It gives it to us this way as we think about it, just this idea of understanding that true Christians hold fast to the end. It would say in 1 John, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were with us. So he says, here were those people. They, they, we thought they were believers. We thought they were among us, and then they left. They, they pulled out. They, they, they quit. They quit on God. They quit on church. They quit on Jesus. Did that mean they lost their salvation? No, John tells us actually it means they were never saved. Now, we thought they were. I mean, sometimes it looks that way. I mean, Judas Iscariot has to be one of the best examples of anybody who looked like a follower of Jesus. Nobody ever thought he wasn't a follower of Jesus, but he wasn't. Jesus tells us he was a son of perdition, that he's a son of hell, that that's what he is. He, in one sense, that reality eventually proved its way out. So if somebody isn't faithful to the end, it's not that they lose, it's proof that they never had. Now, that's helpful. I mean, from an eternal standpoint, honestly, that's, that's helpful to me at least. But still in the midst of it, it finds itself, how do you live that out? I mean, how do you face what this looks like? Well, let's say it another way assurance of salvation is what we're talking about, but assurance and salvation are not necessarily the same thing. Being assured and being saved are not always the same thing. Think about it this way. There are some people who feel assured that they're saved, and they're not. I mean, like, they think they're going to be making it to heaven. They feel very confident in that, but the Bible's really clear they won't. Jesus gives them the most fearful verses there in Matthew 7, where he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And then he says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He says, there's going to be these people who come up to him in the end day, and they really are thinking they're going to go to heaven. That they think so maybe because they know the right answer, or maybe because some good things that they've done. And Jesus is going to say, but we didn't have a relationship, ever. I mean, I don't know you. You don't know where, this thing that is Christianity, you don't have it. You, you never, I don't know you. And, and he's going to tell them to part from me. And that assurance is going to be proven utterly wrong. And that's really, really scary. It is, in fact, one of the most scary realities to me in the entire Bible. But the Bible's clear that can happen. On the other side of the, of the scenes, there are some Christians who feel unassured of their salvation, but they're fine. I, I mean, they're fine. I mean, there's this place where some people live their life in doubt and fear and like, oh, I don't know. I mean, maybe God's gonna send me to hell. I just, I just, and they live that whole way and John would say it to us this way. He says, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows all things. Like if you're like, if you live in that place of of doubt and fear, God knows. And I know I'm speaking to some this morning. That's exactly where you are. You live in a space where honestly there's a lack of confidence. There's a lack of space in that. And I want to tell you there is a place of assurance, but we're not talking about salvation necessarily. If you're his, you're his but there is a place of assurance. There is a place uh, of what that would look like, and and to that he's speaking to us. He's he's letting us know of of that reality that would be a part uh, of all that he would have for us, a place where that would work inside of our lives, and so we get a glimpse of what it looks like. So that's kind of definition-wise for me. Again, we're again deep theological waters it doesn't answer all questions and for some of you it ruffles your feathers i understand press into me and we'll understand again assurance of salvation eternal security can we have it yes and no there is a place where he invites us to it but never into a place of disobedience that he speaks comfort to those who are holding fast to him, but to those who are not, he speaks incredible warning, and lots and lots of reasons for that, lots and lots of realities, but he's inviting us to understand what this is, this place of what assurance of salvation is. Well, that's, again, definitively it helps us kind of get there, but that only begins to move us to, okay, well, how do we have that? Okay, if we have a little bit of an understanding that there is such a thing as an assurance of salvation, even though, again, kind of walking across a lot of difficult places, how do we have assurance of salvation? How could we or should we, might we have what this is? Well, I just want to say it this way. God wants you to have an assurance of salvation. I mean, God looks at you right now, and I just want you to know it's his desire for you, I mean, it's not that he, he's not trying to hold this over in fear over your life. He's not trying to manipulate you. He wants you to have assurance of salvation. He gives it to us this way in 2 Peter 1. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. He says, you need to, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should press into this because I want you to be sure. Or we would say assured. I want you to be sure of who you are. I want you to know that that's who you are. You should do these things that he's giving us a list of there in in 2 Peter. You should press into this Christian life in a way so that you are sure of your salvation. Or he'd give it to us this way in 1 John. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Again, just note those central words in the midst of it. He says, I want you to know. I want you to know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know. I mean, that's just powerful right now. And I don't know if that's where you are. For some of you, you're here and it's a scary thing. I mean, for some people, they're like, well... I hope so. <laughs> like, you know, I hope I'm going to make it into heaven. I, you know, I mean, I hope when I die that I'm on the right side of things. I just want to tell you there's a bunch of people that live that way and I have no idea how you do it. I mean, if that's where I was, if I was just like, well, you know, I hope <laughs> You know, it's a little bit too late to find out when I'm there that I, I failed the grade. It's like, you know, I mean, I need to know now. I mean, if this is eternity we're talking about, like, I don't want to wait until I die to find out if, if I was, you know, if I was on. I mean, I, I want to know. And God wants you to know. God is inviting you. He's inviting you into a space that you can have an assurance of your salvation, that you can have this confidence in eternal life that you could know that, how do we have that? Well, let's come back to kind of a definition statement. I'm just gonna own it right off the bat, it's not mine. It's not original with me. Uh, I think this exact phrasing was first used by Chuck Smith, although I found some similar phrasing even before that. But I would say it to you this way, that maybe my understanding of eternal security is once saved, always saved, as long as you abide. Once saved, always saved as long as you abide. I mean, and all of that becomes a part of how this whole thing works, that the whole thing becomes this place of understanding what that looks like. And again, it kind of defines everything we just talked about, that it's those who are abiding in Jesus that have this confidence. Or let's say it another way. That's the only way you have confidence. Assurance of salvation, biblically, is only found in abiding. Assurance of our salvation, biblically, is only found in an abiding relationship with Jesus. Gives it to us in this way in 1 John, he'll say it in 1 John 2, now by this we know that we know him. Or that other verse we just read a moment ago, I want you to know that you have eternal life, which was also from 1 John. So one of the themes of the book of 1 John is this place of an assurance of salvation. So if you're wanting to go deeper, it's five chapters, you can go and read it. Um, Quick FYI. That's our plan. I mean, we're going to finish up this series on eternal, uh, on on, uh, spiritual warfare in a couple weeks. And right now, my plan is that the next book we're going to study is 1 John. Again, that could always change because God does that, but I'm just letting you know that because I'm about to give you a list that I have presently, that there are at least seven things that God gives us in 1 John that give us proof of our salvation. Now, I'm just telling you this because once we work through the book, I'll probably change the way I word this. Like, I'll be like, you know, I didn't say it very well. Let's say it better, and I, at least I hope so because that's kind of one of the themes of 1 John. Nevertheless, I want to kind of give it to you in a very rough way that, again, through the book of 1 John, he gives us things that tell us these are things that help us know we're saved. What kind of things? Well, that we have a relationship with Him, that we love God, that we're in fellowship with Him, that we know our sin. Like we, we own the fact that we're sinners in need of a Savior and, and our need of forgiveness in Christ. At the same moment, we're seeing some victory over sin. We're seeing that process of sanctification work out in our life. And you know, again, we're leaving some sin in the, in the, behind us. At The same moment, we're holding fast to Christ. Like right now, Christ is our hope. We have the dynamic of the work of the Spirit in our life. We hold unto the truth of God's Word, and we love people. Specifically, we love believers. Now, again, there's some deep waters in all of that, and I'm not trying to teach 1 John at this moment, but letting you know, hey, these are what 1 John kind of tells us. It tells us these are the kinds of things that give us confidence in our salvation. And again, if you want to go and read that, all of 1 John, you can do so. But I just want you to own and, and notice with me as he defines these things that these are present realities. Everything he's offering to us that gives us confidence of our salvation is a present reality of where we are with Jesus. That it's in that present reality that we get this, that this assurance of salvation comes in that way. That the way that God wants you to have a confidence of your salvation is because of your present relationship with Jesus because of how that is working, this experience you have with him right now. Now, I want to tell you that's how the Bible calls us to have that assurance, which is what he tells us in 1 John or even that passage in 2 Peter I started to read to you a moment ago that he's telling us if you press deeper into the things of Christ, it gives you assurance Always the Bible calls us to this place of having assurance in this relationship with Jesus, but it's never calling us to have assurance based on something that happened in our past. And yet that's often where people go. I mean, I just want to tell you that's often where people go. That Sometimes when people think about assurance of salvation, they think about that moment where they gave their life to Jesus. And so you'll ask somebody, so do you think you're going to heaven? And they'll tell you, Yeah, I went to this Billy Graham concert, you know, crusade, and and he was sharing, and I I prayed this prayer, or I walked up and talked to the pastor afterwards, and and that's where I gave my life to Jesus. Please don't misunderstand me. That's significant, and the Bible talks about your testimony is powerful, but most of the time our testimony becomes a way that we get to tell other people about Jesus, like we get to tell them what God did in our life. It's never used as the means of our confidence. It's never our past that we have confidence in. What gives us our confidence in our salvation is our present experience with Jesus. And it's only that present experience with Jesus that allows us to feel confident. Outside of that, we shouldn't and can't biblically feel confident of our salvation. Now, again, that's important, and very, very important for you here this morning. It's important in both your understanding of you, but also, again, just speaking to parents and and, just friends and people who love other people, because here's what I know, that for some of you here this morning, this is where you are, like you have a child or a parent or a friend, and they used to go to church. And they used to love God and read the, read the Bible, and they don't do it any longer. That's not, that's not their present experience. They're not walking with Jesus. They're not loving Jesus. They're, they're not loving his word. And yet you still have a propensity to think they're going to be okay. Okay. That so Are they going to go to heaven? And you would say, well, you know, I was there. <laughs> yeah, they went to this youth thing, and there was this great experiential moment, and they prayed this incredible prayer, and they gave their life to Jesus. So even though right now they're living so badly, I think they're going to make it to heaven. I just want to tell you, the Bible would never give you that confidence. That should never be the confidence that you have because of something you saw. The only way you can have confidence in somebody's salvation is because of their present experience. It's because you can say, look, they, they love God, they love God's people, they love his word, they take sin seriously. Yeah, those are the things that make me just recognize the reality of Christ in their life, and I have confidence because of that, and that's the only biblical way. It's the only way that we can stand and walk in that, and that's the reality that God invites us to, so that both for us and in other people, the only way to have this thing that is eternal security or assurance of salvation is by a present experience. If someone fails to abide, like they're not doing that right now, they lose that assurance, but let me be clear. Not their salvation, not your salvation, but the assurance of their salvation. If you're really saved, salvation isn't one of these things that's like, I'm saved, I'm not saved, I'm saved, I'm not saved. I mean, sometimes that's how we feel. I mean, let's just own it right now. Sometimes that's our experience. But here's the thing if you're Jesus's, if, if you're His, He knows you by name. He says, Nobody could take you out of my hand. You're never going to die. That doesn't change with your experience. So if, if, you, if you're not walking, you lose the confidence of your salvation. But if you're really His, you're going to make it. In fact, you could even die in one of those low moments where, you know, okay, you're not walking, you're not going to church, you're not reading your Bible, you're not not loving God's people, and you die. That's not like, okay, I died in that state. I guess I'm done. I mean, that's kind of how some people live their lives. Like, okay, if I have a bad day and I die, oh my, (laughs) like, I'm done. No, that's not it at all. If you're saved, you're saved. If you're saved, you're his. But here's the thing. You have no confidence, and neither can we, and neither can we. Nobody can look at somebody else who's doing poorly and and, and feel confident about where they are. I think about it this way. Paul would say it in 2 Timothy really well. He says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He says, there's two things that really just this solid seal. First of all, God is not confused. He knows. I mean, he's not looking up there in heaven going, I'm having a really hard time. I mean, are you really saved? I mean, that's not the way it works. I mean, it's like, like, I know. I, I know every person in here right now. God is not confused. He has no doubt about it. He knows everybody who's saved. He sees what we can't see. In fact, the Bible's clear. We can't do that. Jesus gives the parable of the tares and the wheat, and, you know, kind of this picture of of true believers and false believers. He's like, you know, don't go there and try to separate it. You'll mess it up. Like, you would never be able to, like, I think they're a believer. It's not. Only God really knows who's his. But if you know Jesus, seek to live this real relationship with Jesus that brings you into victory over sin, that you would depart from iniquity, because that's the only way you're going to know, and it's the only way we're going to know. Like the only way that we have hope is that if you really know Jesus, like live this thing out in such a way that we're not scratching our head wondering, like, are they? I don't know. I mean, it's like, I hope they are. I, I mean, you kind of, but no, live in such a way that there's just not doubt for you or doubt for others. I mean, that's just a powerful way to say that that in one sense, he's telling us that's where there is confidence. The only place where there's confidence is seeing somebody just attentively and seriously live out their, their Christian life. That's where we find that. That's where all of this is. And so that's what he's inviting us to. That's what he's inviting us to. Okay, you guys doing okay? I mean, just in one sense, I reckon it's like deep waters, and some of you are like, man, I've got my brain still, you know. You know I, I just, I know it's a, it's a difficult concept. And again, if you have questions, you can ask and argue if you want to. But again, I'm just wanting to help you understand what he's telling us, that he's giving all of this. But here's the thing, in doing all of this, he's calling us to a confidence that could be our helmet of salvation. Okay, track with me for a moment. If you're actually paying attention, in one sense, everything we've said so far is like our introduction. We actually haven't even got to the text yet. I mean, just kidding. I mean, not totally. I mean, I don't want to freak you out. Like, oh my goodness, how long are we gonna be here? We're gonna just not be too much longer. Don't don't stress or worry about it. But in one sense, we haven't even dived into what he's offering us in this text. We've only really defined one word, which is what is he's talking about—salvation or the assurance of salvation but he's offering, telling us that what that could be in our life. So go back and see it again. You got your Bibles? Yes, we are. We are going to try to tackle it now there in verse 17. And he says, and take the helmet of salvation or the helmet of the assurance of your salvation, that he's letting us know that this now becomes not only vital, not only important that you're saved and know you're saved, it becomes a very real part of spiritual warfare. It becomes a very real help in dealing with our adversary who, who is going to fight against us. He's letting us know that there's a safety, there's a protection that the helmet can provide into your life and mine. Okay, try to imagine it this way. In a spiritual battle, in a personal spiritual battle, when you're under attack, this becomes specifically helpful. Now, we talked about this last week, and so I'm not going to dive back into it, except just to quickly refer to it. If you missed last week's study, and this is not something you clearly understand, you might want to go back and get that or watch it online. We talked about that we have an adversary, a devil, who is always our adversary, but then there are, da- there are days. There's a war, and then there's battles. And those battles are places where it becomes personal, what he described earlier in the text as an evil day, days where Satan is seeking to bring in harm, where he's seeking to bring in confusion, where he is pursuing something, and it's become a personal attack. It's become a place where Satan is seeking to bring harm into your life. And so he's saying, when you're in that day, when the, the fiery darts of the, of the enemy are flying into your life, one, you should trust God, like a very intentively, very purposely, very just like, okay, God, I believe you. God, I trust you. And secondly, this helmet of salvation that you should already have. I mean, there's no way to like create it at that moment, but you should already have this assurance of salvation that is kind of a part of your life. You need to take it and put it on. Or try to imagine it this way. For me, it works in, in just, you know, I have a fairly de- decent imagination, so some of you are going to be able to do it as well. I like imagine a battlefield. And, and there's these two armies, and they're getting ready to engage. But there are moments of, of lull where the battle's not taking place. And in those moments over here in, in, in this camp, there you are, there I am. And we know the battle's going to take place at some point, but it's not happening right now. But if we're handling that well, you know, we got our breastplate on, <laughs> we got the righteousness of Christ, we got our belt on, we have truth, we have our shoes on, that is the preparation for the gospel of peace and we're just kind of walking around camp. I mean, it's just, we're, we're, we're ready, but we're not in the battle, but we're ready for the battle. But when the trumpet blows, when the sound comes that the battle is now engaging, that we're about to do hand-to-hand combat with the enemy, in that moment, we need to grab hold of our shield and put on our helmet and grab our sword. Three things that in that moment should become very intentional things that we grab hold of if we're going to be victorious. We should trust God very purposely, very intentionally, and we should put on this helmet. We should grab hold of this assurance of salvation. We should grab hold of this thing that can rescue us from so much of what Satan would bring into that moment. I mean, that's the idea here. That's the idea of taking the helmet of salvation in this moment because it's going to become very helpful in overcoming the attacks that Satan would seek to bring into your life. I think about it in the book of Revelation. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, so I just quickly dive into it without going as deep as we did a couple weeks ago. In Revelation 12, He said, so the great dragon, that serpent of old, called the devil, and Satan accused them before our God day and night. In this prophetic picture where God is looking from the future back to the present where you and I are, he's going to tell us there's a day that Satan's not going to do this any longer, but right now he is. We have this enemy. We have the devil, and you know what he's doing? He is accusing God's people day and night. He is one that brings in Condemnation. He is one that brings in accusation, and he does it all the time. It is one of his key strategies in our world to undermine Christians' lives. There's a day that's going to end, which, by the way, is what Revelation 12 says, and that's going to be really, really good news, but it hasn't happened today. But then he just gives it to us this way, and they overcame him. Like people who are facing Satan's accusations, which is where you and I are right now, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. He says, here's how they did it. Here's how they defeated Satan's work in their days. First of all, they did so by the blood of the Lamb. And just very quickly, that's the righteousness of Christ. That's the breastplate of righteousness. It's like I, it's the blood that washes away all my sin. Like, I, I, I got this. But notice the third one they don't love their lives, even to the death. That there is a place that they look upon it and they don't hold on to their lives, they're not really clinging to this life as if this was everything they have, because in one sense, they, 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 they recognize it's not the end. They're not holding that in such a way that they love this life even to the death. Now, that's a powerful phrase, but understand this. It's not just something that's uniquely here. In some ways, that's the definition of a Christian life. When Jesus was inviting us to be followers, he said it this way in Mark 8, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. He says, if you're gonna live your life clinging to this life, like you know everything is about these days and, and death is the end and, and there's no hope for you and you're just gonna hold on to this physical life like it's everything, you're gonna lose it, you're gonna die. But if you give yourself to Jesus, If you die to yourself and say, God, I want to embrace the gospel, I want to embrace eternal life, he says you actually gain it. So he's inviting us into this space that sees things in an entirely different way. That what Jesus does is he brings us to this place that in that, that there is not this place of loving this life only, there's a a place of, of seeing it entirely. Or let's say it in another way. If you have assurance of salvation, if this is a helmet that you can put on, if it's yours because you're abiding in Jesus and you recognize that Satan's do, just seeking to do something in your life and you put this on, this assurance of salvation reminds us that if that's you, you're invincible. I don't know how much you understand this, but you literally are invincible. I think about it this way. Paul would say it in Philippians, for me to live as Christ and to die as game. For me, he says, if I live, then Christ still has a purpose for my life and he's gonna use my life. And you know what, if I die, I get to be with Jesus. He says, for me, it's kind of a win-win scenario. I mean, there is no lose here. Like, it's, you know, like if, if I live, I win. If I die, I win. I mean, either way, I win because of Jesus. And I just wanna tell you, that's pretty incredible. I mean, to, to have a life where you recognize that if you have this assurance of salvation, it's like, well, God, you know, if you allow me to live, then there's still points to my life. My life is still making a difference. I'm still her on purpose. Okay, I win. But if everything goes bad and the very worst thing that happens to me that can happen to anybody happens and I die, I win. You know, it's like, I, I, you know, this assurance of salvation means it's not even a, a deal in my life any longer. It becomes something that rescues us from Satan's strategy. It rescues us from being afraid to die it rescues us from being this fear that that this is all that there is. I think about it this way in Hebrews. It says in chapter 2, he himself, speaking of Jesus, through death, destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil, like the devil's the one that had this power of, of death and all that it was because of sin, and releases those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage this is you whether you recognized it or not. That outside of Jesus, we are all of our life afraid to die. This fear of death guides so much of how people live their lives, so much of the way people live their lives in this world. But Jesus died for us so that if you know Jesus, death is no longer your enemy. You're not like, well, I'm just afraid to die. It's like, actually, I wouldn't mind. You know, it's like being with Jesus sounds pretty cool. You know, like no more pain, sorrow, and suffering is not like a bad deal. I mean, I don't know if that's where you are. Not that I'm looking forward to the process like most of us aren't. But you know what? I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die at all. In fact, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Okay, not just kind of. I'm really looking forward to it because I know that death is now defeated. Death no longer my enemy. And what assurance of salvation does is it just sets that on there, this place where we could so easily be moved, where Satan seeks to bring in his lies and his things that would do our life badly. But if you can put this on, it's like, you know what, I win. (laughs) Like, I don't know what's going to happen in this moment. I don't know how this is going to work out. But either way, I win. I mean, like, I live, I win. I die, I win. I mean, this is not, I mean, I win because I'm saved. I mean, that changes everything. That defeats Satan's blow that would seek to bring and just attack into your life. That reminds us of our eternal hope. This place where, because of our helmet of salvation, we recognize, again, the future is not uncertain for us. Again, I just want to point it out. Paul would use that same terminology in 1 Thessalonians. Where he says, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, this breastplate of Christ, of believing in him and, and his love for us, and the helmet, the hope of our salvation. Like, okay, I recognize this is not the end for me. I recognize my eternity is this eternal hope that changes literally everything, and that becomes so incredibly helpful. I mean, if you could have this, I'm just telling you, God is telling us, hey, these, there are bad days. There are evil days that Satan will seek to inflict upon your life, but you don't have to be you know, subject to them. They don't have to be the thing that just domineers your life. You can stand against everything that Satan would throw against your life, but if you're going to stand, you need his strength. You need to believe God, and you need to have this assurance of salvation, and you need to put it on. You need to put it on. You need to grab hold of that when that's where you are, and you need to let that be something that defines who you are and where that is. I love that. I love that he's offering this to us. I love what that looks like. But let me give it to you in an illustration. Um, Some of you know it. Well, I've shared this before. You've seen it other places. But one of my favorite hymns is the, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Maybe you're aware of it, but it's written by a man named Horatio Spafford, who lived from 1828 to 1888. He and his wife, Anna, would end up having seven children uh, in their life. But at this space where we're going to dive into it, they have five. They had five children as they were kind of walking through the things that were happening in their life, and all of them, you know, were kind of precious to them in the midst of it. But in 1870, their oldest son, their only son, died of scarlet fever. Now, these are believers. I probably should have said that. They loved Jesus. They were seeking to live for him in this world. But now they're dealing with their only son who dies of scarlet fever, just wrestling through the the weight of that is Only some of you would understand how hard that is to lose a child. But then one year later, in the great Chicago fire, they lose everything. All their business, all of their investments before insurance that could have replaced any of it didn't exist in that moment. Really, the Chicago Fire is one of the things that really led to insurance because they lost everything. All of their business, everything that was gone. They lost their entire life savings. Reeling through just the loss of their son, the loss of everything that they'd built up, kind of walking through that, trying to figure out the next step. It was a really hard couple of years. In 1873, they decided they need to get a wife. Like, it's just been really hard here, and they decide they're going to go to England. Uh, in England, D.L. Moody is holding some evangelistic crusades, and they, they, they know him. They've already been partnering with uh, his ministry, and they decide, we're just going to go. We're going to go and help D.L. Moody. We're going to come alongside him as they're doing some evangelistic crusades uh, there throughout England. Uh, they get there. They're heading, uh, getting ready to go. They get to the port. I think they're in New York. And as they're there, you know, word reaches uh, Horatio Spafford that something's happening with the businesses that he's trying to restart, and he has to go back. But he, you know, they're already ready to go to England, so he tells his wife and his kids, you get on the boat, you go ahead, I'll join you as quick as I can. I just, I got to go back and deal with this. So they hop on the boat, they begin their journey, Horatio goes back. And if you know the story, there on November 2nd, 1873, the Villa de Havre, their, their ship collided with a locker room, and 226 people died including all of Horatio's daughters at that point, four daughters that they have at that moment. So now he's he's just there. I mean, there's this horrible moment where having already lost their son, losing all of their life savings, now loses all four daughters. His wife gets there and she cables back to him, saved alone, like I'm I'm the only one that made it. Horatio immediately tries to, to make his way. He goes down, gets on the ship, begins his journey over to England. And as the story goes out, it tells us that the captain when they were getting to about the same space where the ship had gone down with his four daughters, you know, kind of called for Horatio and just told him, said, like, this is, this is the space. Like, we're traveling over the space where the ship went down and just thought you probably would want to know. And, and, and so the story goes on that, you know, Horatio was there for a while, just, you know, at the ship, at, you know, kind of obviously, you know, just kind of contemplating all that had happened. He makes his way back to his cabin, and he's sitting down trying to process all this through with the Lord, and he writes a poem. He writes a poem that really is what he's feeling at this moment and how he's responding to it that will become the song that we sing, It's Well With My Soul. But at this moment, it's just him writing out this poem. He writes it, and it simply says, you know, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. He says, As I'm going through this, and he's literally on the sea and just kind of feeling that all of these sorrows that are pressing around him. He says, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. Hey, pause there and just kind of catch it. Assurance, that's what we're talking about this morning, right? The assurance of salvation. He says, let this Blessed assurance, the assurance that I am His, this blessed assurance, control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and He has shed His blood for my soul. My sin, He goes on to say, Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. He gazes forward to the end of it and He says, And Lord, Haste the day when my face shall be sight, and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Wow. That becomes the refrain. It becomes a part of the song that we sing, and we will sing when we close in a few moments. This idea where he just says, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well. Can I tell you in a very simple way, that's assurance of salvation. That's a place where you can say, you know what? <laughs> you know, even on a hard day, even when things are really hard, here's what I know. I win. I mean, if, if, if I stay here, I win. If I die, I win. I mean, my, my, my soul is fine. He died for me, and, 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 and I'm confident of where I am. I'm confident of where I'm going. And, and it was the, the, just the thing that held him strong in that moment. And I'm wanting to tell you, it can be so for you that the assurance of your salvation can become something that you actually have and that is very strong in your life. And in those moments when Satan would bring in sorrow and difficulty and, you know, when when all that he would seek to do, you'd be able to say, you know, let this blessed assurance control. Christ has regarded my helpless estate. And he shed his blood for my soul. I know who I am. I know where I am. I know where I'm going. And that held him strong in that moment. And I'm just telling you it can for us as well, that there can be a space that that God is saying, I would give you this. I would give you a helmet of salvation that could hold you strong in those difficult days. And I'm telling you, it's a powerful promise. But there's only one way to have it, there's only one way to put on the helmet of salvation is if you actually have it. I think about it this way. Paul would say it in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourself to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are disqualified? He says you need to know this. Like You should examine yourselves and just track with me again. He's not asking about your past. He's asking about your present do you know that Jesus is in you? I mean, do you have this present relationship with Jesus? He says you should examine yourself, you should test yourself, and because you want to know that, and the confidence you can have is in that relationship with Jesus, and I just want to tell you if that's where you are this morning, and you, you are his, I mean, there's a place where you should be not, I don't know how you can't not pursue that. (laughs) How do I say that better? I mean, if you are sitting here this morning, and you are kind of looking at eternity, and you're like, well, you know, I, I think I'm going to be fine. I hope so. We'll find out when I die. That's too late. That's too late. I mean, how could, you, how could you do that? I don't know how you do that. You should know, and there's only one way to know. Press into Jesus. Know him more. Walk with him, and if you're not saved, you'll get saved, and if you are saved, then you'll grow in confidence. Like grab hold of Jesus and, and live in such a way that you feel that confidence. Now, if you test yourself and it's not real with you and you find out, hey, I think I'm just playing a game, like I've never actually had a real relationship with Jesus, he says, then you're going to be disqualified. But to be disqualified qualifies you to get saved. If you recognize you're not his, the point of that is that you need to get his, you need to become his. And so, even now this morning, if that's you and you're like, I, I don't think that's me. I don't have a relationship with Jesus, then today I invite you to it. Today I invite you to surrender your life to him, to to, to grab hold of salvation, to grab hold of Christ, so that it could be said of you that your sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, that that would be the hope and power of your life. So that's what I'm holding out to you. Again, just a place where he's giving us this thought of being able to be confident and have that as we face difficult days. So let's end there. If you haven't already done so, you can close your Bibles, notebooks, and I just want to invite you into a space, and I don't know what that looks like, for again, for somebody here, you're not His, and even walking through this idea of assurance of salvation, you're like, well, I I don't have that, and maybe God is showing you you're not His, then today we invite you to Jesus. This would be a great moment for you to cry out for salvation maybe you live in that in-between place where you think, I think I know him, I don't really know him, then right now I'm inviting you to press in, to to say, well, God, if I I don't know you, I'm going to ask for you. If I do know you, I want to press in so there's not a doubt. So I would have a confidence because I know you, and I invite you into a deeper relationship with Jesus in a way that would give you confidence. But if you have it, I just want you to have it. I want you to have it where not only can you know the assurance of salvation, and there's a lot of other spaces that's really good, but I'm inviting you into a place that when you have those evil days, and you do, and you will, that this would be something you would be like, I'm grabbing that. (laughs) I'm going to put on the helmet of my salvation. I'm going to say, okay, this is where I am. It's well with my soul. And I want to tell you, you would find you're able to stand. You're able to withstand Satan's lies because you're holding to what God has done in you. I just want to ask you to prove that out. So you take a moment, whatever that is, one of those spaces, whether it's giving your life to Jesus or pressing after him or just becoming one that recognizes what this is and that you will grab it when you need it and put it on. Wherever that's found you this morning, would you take a moment and talk to him? I'll do the same and we'll come back and close together in worship in just a moment. Father, I think about the truths that you hold before us and even how you word it there in the book of Titus that the solid foundation of the Lord stands that you know everyone who is yours. God, and you do. Right now, there's no question for you. There's no ambiguity. Those of us who know you, you know. I mean, there's not a question about that. But you also know those that don't. And to pray for those that don't know you that you would draw them to their, just a recognition of not being in you, not having you. God, I pray that you draw them to a place where you would say that you know them, and I just pray for that in in an incredible way. I also pray for those who know you and yet are living poorly in such a way that there's no way for them to have assurance the way they're living right now. I pray that you draw them out of such foolish living, not only for the benefit of righteousness and and good, but the only way they can have confidence. And And I pray for rescue. And then, Lord, I pray for those that know you, who are living with you and doing well, not perfectly, but growing, growing in you and your ways. I pray that the assurance of their salvation would be comforting to them. But very specifically, I pray that they would find it to be powerful in our battle with the devil, that they would find that there's a security, a safety, a protection that is ours in you that holds us against his lies. Would you help that to become not just something that we can read on the page, but something true in our lives? Pray for help in that right now and pray for it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.